Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey guys, welcome back to the HLE podcast. I'm your host, Derek. I am joined today by Carter and Anthony, but who gives a damn about those two schmucks because you have tuned in <laughs> to listen to our uh, guest today. So we got Bert Sorn in here from Sornex and uh, we're excited to talk to him and have him on. So how's it going, Bert? It's going great, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, we're stoked that you uh, actually accepted and, and jumped on here. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I mean, we had a good couple dry runs, you know, early on and the with the other podcast uh, software or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, fun. we uh, we found out what didn't work, so now we're now we're working on the process this. of elimination, right? Exactly. <laughs> Just yeah, it's it's good deal. No, it's good. It's good being on the uh, show. Interested in what you guys are doing over there, and yeah, let's talk. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so you want to give the listeners some of your background for those that don't know you? Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Bert Soren, um, president of Sorenex Exercise Equipment. It's a family-owned business. We started in 1980. Uh, I, you know, some people are like, "Oh, you're the founder." I'm like, "Okay, do the math, dude. I'm 45. Did I, did I find did I, did I invent Sorenex when I was five? Or Came out the womb doing this shit. Seven or whatever. <laughs> the heck it was just like, no, man. Uh, my dad started it. You know, at our house, basically in our, you know, garage, but not even a garage, it was like a carport, kind of like a little shaded area. He's lifted his whole life, um, all lifted weights, built stuff. And so, you know, he was a teacher at the moment and just said, hey, I'm going to do something different and chase the American dream, kind of moonlighted for a while and then eventually made it a, a full time deal. So that was in 1980. I've been around it my whole life. Um, we build strength solutions, whether those are a lot of times they happen like steel and rectangles and cables and pulleys and weights, but a lot of times they look like technology or they look like uh, application of that technology within a, a training system. And so that's what we've always been into the human performance and living a stronger life. It's what I grew up in. And um, 22 years ago, I came on full time. I think it's 22 years, 20, almost 23 now. It's been a while. That's, uh, that's kind of my deal of it. i was working here when I was a kid too, back in the early nineties. And then I went and did high school and college and the whole deal um, came back on. And it's been my, it's been my, like my, my driver from uh, day one is how do you get people stronger, more durable and, and more that they could enjoy the, the, the strength adventure. Uh, not just how do you get stronger? I mean, that, that was kind of the early days how do you perform at a higher level that that was when I was competing at a pretty high level in athletics as well. So that was always kind of the driver. And now as I get older, I'm more interested in how do we keep them uh, excited for the strength adventure because, you know, no one's paying me to lift weights right now or throw a hammer or a whatever. So it's like, I'm, I'm interested in that next phase now that I'm a little bit older. So that's kind of what I do. Um, Working on R&D earlier this morning, you know, putting out fires, typical uh, 
owner of a business stuff. <laughs> so awesome. that's, that's what, that's what I'm doing. So what was it like growing up and then and seeing your dad start this, this small business, like right in your, in your cardboard? Like, do you think that kind of influenced your drive that you still have today? Like seeing his hard work? Oh, of course it was, it was everything. I mean, there, there's no reason I would have just decided um, to start, start a weightlifting company, most likely. Um, and probably not even decided to lift weights. I mean, you know, the influences were certainly growing up in the eighties in the eighties movies. Like that was a big part. Um, I mean, it's anyone that's roughly my age is kind of, it's hard to get around that, you know, when you, when you grow up with, with Stallone and Chuck Norris and Schwarzenegger and those guys, you know, were, like that was the thing, like action style movies. I mean, that was the thing. And, and it wasn't common. Like you see now, like the rock and guys like us, everyone's seen big, strong people, but you're coming off of the backside of the seventies where pumping iron and bodybuilding is just being shown and world's strongest man is just being shown. So that was still kind of a freakish thing. Right. And so to grow up, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old, when that's really surging, you know, I was, I would actually told Stallone, which is just a strange uh, sentence in itself. But when I was speaking with him last year, I told him, I said, you know, it's kind of wild that I saw Rambo two in the theater with my dad in 1985. I believe it was, I was nine and went directly from the theater to Jeffrey archery, which is a, uh, uh, archery shop. I still shop in that was 36 years ago and bought my first bow the day that I saw Rocky two or Rambo two. And I still have that bow. I actually shot it two days ago. I mean, it's a little 22 pound pole compound, all wooden handmade, but you think about it. And I told him, I said, you know, that started my journey in archery was really the physical performance side of it because I, wa I watched Rambo walk out super jacked and it was cool. And it was all this stuff. And then he's shooting bows. And I was like, I, I want to do that. And of course my dad was a, a hunter. And so he's like, sweet, you know, I locked him in. And then, uh, you know, I've been shooting, shooting bows since and lifting weights. So I said, you know, you have those things that influence you in those early days that uh, just get burned into your hard drive. And then it helps when I go home and my dad was, and still is a, he's a monster, but he was a big, strong, physical person that held that in high regard. And you're just around that all the time and around super strong men and women that becomes somewhat the normal, or at least the value proposition of that becomes uh, a known thing. These people weren't seen as freaks in my world. They were seen as someone to be looked up to for at least specific attributes. Um, so that was just how always how it was. I mean, like the thing I told before, like I've it's been held um, respectable in my family to deadlift double your body weight since I could remember. And I think the first time I ever did it, I was in second grade or third. Grade. <laughs> I mean, literally, I, it was a hundred. It was 112 pounds and I weighed, so I weighed 56 pounds. So what was I seven, eight years old? Maybe I was, I was, you know, but I remember thinking like, like that was like a thing. Like if you're in a sworn family, like you need to be able to deadlift double body weight. And, but even looking now, I'm like, oh my gosh, not only did I know what a deadlift was, but I knew how to add kilos at that time, you know? And Shit, I, I still can't do that. Right. It was wild. Like I converted them. I knew that, you know, a 10 on each side was 88 pounds. And uh, so it was just weird, like to even look like a, a rather strange upbringing, but I didn't see it as strange. I just saw it as, yeah, that's just what you do. So there was always kind of that, 
competitiveness, push yourself, but with a reward involved there. And that was kind of like how I was taught as a kid. What all uh, sports did you play growing up? Very few, actually. I played soccer, like little beehive soccer, you know, when you're a kid and you just run around and you kick the ball everywhere. Uh, I did that indoor and outdoor. Um, You know, being an only child, you, you know, and then my mom and dad got divorced when I was a kid. So I would see my dad, but I lived with my mom. So, you know, I didn't have brothers or sisters to play with all the time. So it was the kids in the neighborhood. So you get pretty good at individual stuff. So I found very quickly that because I had a bow and a BB gun and I knew how to make traps and all that kind of stuff, like that was what I enjoyed because I could be as good at it as I wanted to be. And I could just, I'd go down the rabbit hole and I would look up and, you know, I'd be reading bushcraft books for eight hours a day and making figure four traps when I was eight years old, because it was interesting and, you know, or compasses or whatever it may be. So I did some sports early on, but I was never great at it. And then, um, I wrestled as a freshman and then I broke my leg or arm and then I broke my leg the next year. So I didn't do sports. So I didn't even do sports until my junior year in high school. I did track and field my junior and senior year. And just, you know, once you're kind of at that age, if you haven't played football or baseball, you're kind of out of the loop as far as the coaching staff, you know, Hey, I didn't coach this kid since he was 10. And, you know, even though I was relatively strong and fast, they asked me once if you were going to play football and I'm like, eh, I don't know. And then they never asked me again. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, I'll go hunt. You know, that's fine. I, I like, I know what I do in the fall, you know, uh, nothing against it. I just have a lot of exposure. So then, and then you also uh, don't have that skill set either. Like, I mean, there's yeah. a certain skill set that goes with it playing, playing from when you're a kid all the way up through high school. Right. And, and, you know, as a kid, you know, you're self-conscious and that like no 16 year old kid wants to walk out the, on a field in a sport he's not played before officially and go, Hey guys, like, how do I do this? And, um, so everyone, you know, you always kind of know that guy's the quarterback and that guy, you know, since they were little kids and, you know, you're not in that click friends with all those dudes, but during the fall, they went to, they went to practice and I went in the woods. Like that was kind of what we did, you know, and I, and I lifted weights year round. So I'd see those guys at the gym and heck my dad trained half of them. So we would lift together and they, we just had different after school things we did. And I don't know if uh, your community is anything like mine, but it is tiny. So everybody went to the football game on Friday night. So if you do something stupid out there, literally everybody fucking knows it. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, and see, that's where like I got pretty good at tailgating for the, uh, the high school football games. And so like <laughs> I was the kid that was out there just being an idiot, you know, and I would go into all the parties afterwards where all my buddies had played. And I was like, Hey, that was pretty awesome that you did earlier. Kind of pretty drunk, but I don't really remember, but hey, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was just a different, a different thing. And so when I went to college, it wasn't to be an athlete. And then I just kind of fell into that uh, very Forrest Gump-like. And then my athletic career really took off in college. Um, but I, I would attribute probably my longevity in the sports because I started so late. So that excitement that kids get when they're eight, nine, 10 years old at like Little League, I just happened to be a 180 pound, six foot two, 17 year old at that time. So and I was relatively strong and I knew how to lift. I just had, I was like a late bloomer. So every day I got bigger and stronger. So there was like an addictive quality to it. You know, testosterone is tor- coursing through my body. I'm enjoying getting strong every day. I'm getting stronger. So I think the coaching staff 
in college, they let me stick around because of my attitude, because I was just purely entertained by it. I just thought it was interesting that every four weeks I got stronger. And whereas a lot of kids were maybe kind of like, oh, cool, I made it to college. I got my scholarship. I'm going to kind of throw it in neutral now um, because I've kind of fulfilled my obligation. Um, I had zero obligation because you know, no one asked me to be there. I walked on and I was just enjoying the ride and enjoying the, the adventure. And, um, you know, five years later in college, I started redshirt of the first year because I sucked. And then five years later, I was pretty good, but still didn't want it to end. And so then I went on and competed professional track and field for another five years and two Olympic trials, and then another four or five years in Highland Games and powerlifting and all the stuff because, I, I hadn't gotten that fill that I that a lot of kids got, and I was getting to do it in a man's body that wasn't beat up, which was like again wildly fun because you know it, it was just I, I I like how my timeline was shifted. So I was still interested. I, I think I was an athlete till I, was, I mean I was a professional Highland Games athlete throwing at 32, 33 years old. So where most people get done at 18. I identify with all of that. that. That was my upbringing. I played, dabbled in sports. My mom coached basketball, all this. Yeah. I didn't start strongman until I was 28. I, I, t- I turned pro at 30 and, uh, and qu- I quit. I'm still, I still am active and still coach athletes and stuff like that. But at uh, 34, after tearing a hamstring and a bicep in the same year, but, uh, yeah, but sure. yeah, I, I've been watching your videos for a while because in strongman, obviously like it, there's a little overlap with Highland games. And there was this one competition where we had to throw. And I'm like, I don't throw anything. I'm just like in a field. But I don't do strongman because I know I would tear hamstrings and biceps. <laughs> I do that yeah. enough. Yeah, dude, I, you, should, you don't want to see any of the videos of me throwing. But I watched some of your stuff to try and figure this out. I'm falling all over the place. Like trying to <laughs> – my buddies are watching me. They're like, dude, just, just try to stay mid-pack. Just try not to get last in that and crush right. everything else. It was such yeah. a disaster. I had a new respect for for throwers after that because you know I'm like, wow, there's a lot of technique to this because I'm putting everything I have into it. It's just like, dude. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say like guys like you would show up and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna eat this motherfucker's lunch. Oh, it was just like, oh, this is gonna be fun today because you're exactly right. There's there's so much technique and and there's a lot of strength. Some of those guys are wildly strong but you have to know how to do it. There's no way to get around it. You know, your 800 pound deadlift is is only going to help you in like one event and then Correct. you get destroyed and everything else. And so that was where it was always like, you know, cause of course I'd go to some events. You're like, Hey, come do the stones. I'm like, Nope, I like my biceps. No, thank you. You know, yeah. And, That's why I always love when powerlifters came into strongman because I was sure. like, cool. I'm like, I see your 900 pound squat. Now let's put a 700 pound yoke and race. Ready? <laughs> yeah, here we go. So that, that's, that's the perfect part about training, right? You train right. To, to get to a different outcome. And my outcome right. was different than yours. And, and so it's always a good bit of respect, but it's fun when we play in each other's pools because, you know, you kind of get to dunk a little bit. A hundred percent. I'm getting dunked on right now. I've been doing jujitsu for like a year and a half. And I'm like, I'm 260 pounds, six foot, and I'm getting like choked out by like middle-aged Asian women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I haven't uh, just got completely dunked on in a sport in a while, although I continue to like get injury because I'm old. Uh, so it's like, people are like, you ought to get in jujitsu. I'm like, A, I think it would be super fun. I've done a little bit of it, but I don't even like to say a little bit. I've done like a class. 
And I'm interested in it, but I also know that I have a tendency to run wholeheartedly at my passions and I don't have enough time for the current passions that I have. So I'm like, am I just going to complicate my life going and doing something else that I know I will go deep water into and probably get hurt and just get dunked on through like my forties and fifties. I'm like, I might just sit this one out right now. I, I feel it. My, my cousin try, is big into bow fishing and I did it oh, yeah. one time with him and it was so fun. I was like, I can never do this again. Correct. Like, what do you mean? I was like, because dude, I'm going to buy a boat right now. And I'm gonna. I have too many hobbies. I have too many. And things. I'll get a boat, and then I'll get the sodium lights, and I'll get a generator, and I'll get all the yes, a hundred percent. And so that I try to, I try to enjoy experiences for what they are, and then like go okay, I'm gonna go back to the deep water things that I love that I haven't perfected yet because, you know, I got out of throwing not because I had perfected it, but, but I had gotten about as good as I was gonna get with the amount of effort I could put in it. And then when lifestyle changed in some ways, I got married, you know, business cranked up. I looked at it as a business thing. I said, okay, I know what it costs to have this, you know, outcome. And that's the outcome that I want, but I know I don't have the money to pay that cost right now. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to show the sport disrespect by kind of screwing with it and cherry picking. Well, I'll go to this event. Like, you know, the good guys aren't at that when I'll make a little bit of money. It's like, no, if I'm not in it to win and like to be good, good and put the effort in it, like I'll go as a fan. Like, that's fine. I've had my time. I think that's the right way to do it. I'm, I'm literally doing the same thing. We've been trying to build up strongmen in America. It's so respected overseas. Like when I've competed overseas, they treat you like royalty. Right. Roll up the red carpet. They respect strength so much. And here in America, we're very team sports oriented. Sure. So it's like, yeah. And so, you know, the year that I won America's Strongest Man was like, hey, good job. Here's like $5,000. Well, next year, the prize money is 200 grand. And they're like, bro, are you going to do it? They're like, are you going to do America's Strongest Man? And I'm like, my business, my wife, my kids are getting over there into sports. I know what it takes to get there. I just frankly don't want to spend the time and effort and wear and tear on my body. I'm getting older. Like, I'm one of the older 105K strong men. I'm like, sure. I just, sure. Yeah, that, you're exactly right. Because I was going to compete early on. Remember Jeff Dolan? Yeah. Yeah. So Jeff was throwing Highland games when we were doing a powerlifting meet together. And I think there was a, it was the, actually the Johnny Perry classic uh, or invite like in 2000, <laughs> early 2005. And Perry had just passed the year before. And I remember Dolan came down and threw with me and then he was, he was going to do some different meets and he was trying to convince me. He was like, Hey man, you need to, uh, you need to, you know, get into strongman like the was like the two thirty class at that time. And yeah, I'm like, and at that time it was semi doable, right? I mean, that was early days of it, and you know, guys weren't lifting the same amounts that years later. That's like what the oh. Arnold pros are living lifting. You're like, you got to be kidding me! So I was going to do one of his comps because he had a tire throw, uh, axle clean and a clean and jerk or clean and press. And at that time a lot of the strongmen really didn't know how to do cleans, cleans. Yes. They were, it was early on, you know, in the tires where I was like, okay, so I'm in on a couple of them right there. And there weren't a lot of good two thirty guys. And so the, the goal was, and I had this goal for years and years and I never did it. I wish I would have, but I don't know if it was doable and I think it was 2004, 2005. I had this harebrained scheme of, I wanted to be the first person that I knew of, to compete at nationals in track and field, strongman, Highland Games, powerlifting, and Olympic weightlifting the same 12 months. That would be nuts. 
and and I wanted to like write the programming and like this was before social media and everything okay. I, and really before YouTube and I wanted to like video and and put the whole thing together and let everyone go along with the like how would I peak for certain things what sure. things were kind of a gimme what things that I could qualify for quickly and then transition to so and so and I had it figured out that track and field because I just come off of the trials I knew that was a gimme Olympic weightlifting was close to a gimme um powerlifting was certainly a gimme so i was like all right i'm in for three highland games uh, haven't done them enough i'd like to kind of get into it and then the strongman was the big like question mark and and i talked to jeff and he's like hey well you know my event's gonna be one of the ones it's an automatic birth to the national championship these are the events I'm doing. It was a four event thing. One was a tire throw. One was a grip event, like a farmer's walk. One was a clean and jerk. And I thought I was like, all right, if I play my cards, right, that's yeah. what I'll have to train up for, but I could do that. And then the big other big question mark was like, well, what's even the national championships for Highland games. I reached out to Randy Strosen and asked him, he goes, well, you might as well call Pleasanton the national championships. So that's why I started training for Pleasanton. And that conversation is what really got me into Highland Games. And so I was like, all right, well, let's do this. And then after a while, I was like, well, strongman ain't happening. And I, and I actually told Matt Vincent uh, back then, I was like, hey, this is something I always wanted to do. And then he got into Highland Games. And then, you know, you know his kind of career. But right. it was always one of those things I was like, you know, I think a few people have done all, I don't really know if anyone's actually done all of them in a career, much oh, less in a year. Not in a year. I don't know of anybody. I know of a couple guys. Um, one guy right now that I know, Marcus Crowder, uh, totaled like 2,300 in uh, powerlifting. And then the next weekend came to and won heavyweight nationals and strongman. And you talk about, you're talking about the bar rising. I mean, I was only active in the sport for a decade. But when I started, if you were a middleweight, so a 105K, 231 strongman, if you can clean and press a 240-pound log and deadlift 600, you're cock strong. Like, you're up. Absolutely. You're Nowadays, if you show up to a backyard show and you're not at least pulling 650 and pressing 300, don't bother. And that's the other thing why it's like, I, it's like I pull 750 pounds still, and I would have to work really hard to be competitive in the top 10 of 105s right now. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> and, and a 400 pound stone is like, you better have one in your pocket kind of thing. Where when I was looking at it, like I'm going uh, 275 axle clean and jerk. I, I might take it. I know I'll win the tire throw. Like I got a shot at this. And now it's like, I'm not in this. I mean, we did, I think the winner, we did a 280 axle clean and press for nationals my first year and winner got 16 reps in a minute. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and my buddy Josh Eisel just broke a 105 world record stone lift, 505 pounds to 54 inches. First 105K to lift 505. Yeah. And I remember we were on uh, the board of directors and running the Arnold Strongman event when the 500 pound stone was the biggest stone ever. Right. Pound stone. And it was back in the mid 2000s, but yeah, no one had ever done a 500. And yeah, now yeah. 230 guys are doing it. So, yeah, I missed my window. <laughs> uh, Tom Stoltman is aiming at a 700-pound stone this year. <laughs> Insane. And, yeah. I was like, how, how far does the bar of human performance rise, you know? It's we nuts. used to try it out, like, when we did the big, big yoke uh, and, like, some of the oh, – you know, and because Pops actually – if you ever thought about, like, when you do the stone you do over a yoke, you know, a lot of people do that. 
that was actually invented by Pops in the backstage of the Arnold in probably 2005, six, seven, somewhere oh, wow. there. Um, because they didn't have the boxes that they built or someone built, or they didn't have them. They, they didn't, they didn't have boxes. So we're, the night before we had our yoke there and we actually, we had a, a two, we had a one bar that was a double bar for the yoke sure. but because the yoke was so big that no one had ever made a yoke so heavy. It was like 550 pounds empty. I believe that was what it was. And it, they went up to close to a grand. But uh, so we had a double bar yoke and a single bar yoke that we just we made one in beach just to see which one worked the best. And the night before, they're like, we don't have anything to put the stones over. And we're everyone. I mean, Terry, Todd, Slater, we're all sitting in the back, you know, with, you know, you, you had all the all the hitters back then, the fisters and the Pujanowskis. And everyone's kind of like looking at each other like, what are we going to do a stone over? And Pops is like, it was awesome. He was like, take that piece of rubber and he just rolls it over there. He's like, bolt it here and here and here, go over here. It'll reset itself. Everyone's like, oh shit, that's a good idea. That's awesome. That's a good, yeah, well, that's like, that's how we, I mean, I've done a stone to platform a few times, but nine times out of 10, it's stone over yoke bar. It's so easy to clean up. And, exactly. you know, and, then, and then we rolled some, some, uh, some memory foam and then we had it where it kind of rolled itself back in. If you look at yeah, that, you do it. the Arnold, that's what we did. Yeah, and it's nice because you can adjust it for men and women's heights. Yeah. Oh. Perfect. That's, that's how I came up doing stones was yeah. mainly over a yoke. Yeah. But before that night, I'll have to look back. I'll find the pictures somewhere. It's probably before iPhones, but yeah, I remember yeah. all of us sitting in the backstage going like, how are we going to do this? And everyone's like, we'll get boxes. We'll get this. And, but then you'd always have to have someone to like, spot it remember the old days spot it and then you'd have to roll it back down and it was so brilliant like put something for the stone to bite into go right over who cares it falls in the I thing a lot of the injuries happen too is, is on the spotting and pushing it back and guys would try and like stabilize it on the way down so you're not stabilizing with word about stone Just let, let it drop let it roll back in so yeah that's awesome that's sometimes awesome. at 11 o'clock at night in the backstage you arnold you got to come up with something good that's awesome <laughs> that's some redneck shit right there Hey, hey man, that's a man. yeah so fun fun walk down memory lane oh yeah man but I, that's why I, I love strongman just as uh it's functional you know i remember the first time i got into it i was just training powerlifting at my gym and a buddy of mine who was like 80 pounds lighter than me says hey we're doing farmers carries out back you want to do it i was like yeah sure and he does it and he's flying with like 200 pounds per hand and i have no understanding of the balance or whatever required but i just know he's small i'm bigger i should crush this and i was like a drunk baby deer and i just i couldn't stomach it i'm too competitive i'm like yeah. I don't know what that is, but I must get better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I get it. The same way with me with, with high games. You know, I think I went to an event in 2006 or seven. I was just kind of playing with Highland games. And um, I had won, I think out of seven events, I'd won four and gotten second and two and then just got cleaned out on one event. So I ended up getting like second overall. And I got to the end, end of the event and, and uh, Casey Cummins, I walked up. I was like, hey, thank you for you know running the event. And um, he's like, uh, he said, I said, I'm, I'm Bert Soren. He goes, oh, you're the one they said that would be good if you tried. <laughs> Wait, what? And he was like, yeah, everyone kind of said like you were like an Olympic hammer guy. And but you kind of screw around with this. But, you know, but you'd actually be really good if you like took this seriously. And I was like, OK, cool. And I left and like that aided me. It aided me thinking that my legacy or image is the guy that would be good if he tried. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to be the guy that doesn't try. 
like I'm trying. And then I had to look myself in the mirror and go, yeah, you're kind of trying. Like you do this every once in a while, like you kind of do it and you, you suck obviously at a few events and that's why you get beat. You get second at every event because you break like three field records and then you suck at the caber and you suck at the sheaf because you don't train it because you don't really care. If you did care, you would go and actually try. And so I was just like, okay. So the, and then I, that became like my opponent, like was the, was me of like the sucky version of me. And I think like that week I decided like, F this, I'm going to make a run. And I think I went from 57th in the nation to like third or second or third in the nation, in, like the next eight weeks. And then, uh, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah. And then basically all I did was I printed out every, on the Nazca web, I would print out every event and where I sucked at and I'd sit them on like my desk and I was just like, to be top five, I have to go do this. And then within a week I would just train until I was hitting that in training. I'm like, okay, next one up. And I would just go do it. And awesome. it, it was awesome. It was super fun. Cause you know, then I, I was able to, to have a pretty good career of it after that. Cause I, then I, I took it seriously. I tried. Um, I don't think there's any bigger kick in the dick for somebody that's like competitive than telling them, yeah, you'd be good if you actually like gave a shit, like you gave a shit, right? Fucking, I can, I can be fine. If someone's just like, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough or like, okay, yeah. fine. I get it. I'm not professional strong man size. I get that. But you're like, Oh, it's in your grasp. You just suck so bad. Cause you don't even take this seriously. Nah. Yeah. That's yeah. the, that's the second part to that. Right. You, the level of honesty that it takes, like once you accept that to be like, yeah, yeah. you're right. I, you know, I could be right. And well, not yeah, making excuses because yeah. I played I played ball with plenty of guys who were and could have been division one or or more, but they didn't accept that level of honesty to be like, yeah, you're right. I could turn up the training a little bit and just taking kind of their natural abilities and running with it. So that yeah. level of honesty is legit, man. That's super awesome. Yeah, well, thanks. But that that was like my college career, that was what I had to come back to. I go, okay, why I was good is because I I tried really, really hard. I got like most improved, like two or three years in a row, like all this stuff. And I used to, I wouldn't say pride myself, but I realized the only way I was going to catch up and be as good as the other guys is if I tried harder, trained harder and trained smarter and somehow figured out hacks where I could beat these bigger, stronger guys. And I made a career of it. And what I had just got told was, you're not doing that anymore. You, you've either, you've grown complacent, you don't, you're not putting the real effort towards it. And then I felt like, honestly, like I had disrespected the sport and disrespected my own family name. Like, Oh, you're the guy that's going to mail it in. Nah, that's not a thing. That's awesome, man. Back, backing up a little bit, Bert, I had a question. This is kind of personal, but I, uh, I got told by, I'm a high school teacher and I got told this spring I'm starting our high school track team. Cool. Zero, zero experience with our, with track and field. Um, yeah. but Good how do you, you only have to know like 30 events? It's <laughs> dude, YouTube is like my best friend, greatest thing in yeah. the world. But like, so how do you get into like the throwing aspect of, of the field? Like, where did that come from? Talking about your uh, prior experience to that. Yeah. So my dad was a thrower. That's where, why he came from New Jersey down to South Carolina. He was one of the better discus throwers in the nation when he was in high school um, he didn't necessarily like it. He, I mean, he liked it. He didn't love being a thrower. He loved lifting weights. It just so happened that if you're six, four and strong as crap that you could throw pretty far. Yeah. So he was going to be too correlate. Yeah. That, that helps. Right. <laughs> That's you know, science. 
<laughs> yeah. So especially in the sixties, you know, if you're, if you're big and strong and you're fast and that, that helps. And um, so he loved lifting, liked throwing. And, you know, when you think you're going to be a machinist and work in a machine shop, which is nothing wrong with that. And someone walks up to you and says, Hey, we'll give you a, a full scholarship to college. I know you've not taken any college prep courses and no one in your family has ever been to college before, but if you'd like to come to these multiple universities um, to throw this discus that you are really good at. And pops is like, as he told me, he's like, I kind of saw it like a summer camp. Like this is something fun to go off and do until I go do the rest of my life. Like I never, he didn't have any context behind it. Yeah. And then, uh, but you, you look at it that way. I mean, that's what really started Sornex because then he went and threw shot through discus. And that was at the time still the, the iron game culture that he grew up around. A lot of the greatest lifters were also throwers. So there was that mutual respect and then um, while he was at South Carolina, he kind of became the first unofficial strength coach at the University of South Carolina, built the first weight room. And then that kind of started that whole thing off. Um, so I grew up around lifting, but also had a respect for the discus and the shot put just because I thought it was cool. So that was like the sport I did and realized that, you know, as an individual, I could go out and practice that as long as I feel like it. Um and I don't have to have a teammate to be there with me. I could go in a parking lot and throw into a grass field as whenever I want. The bad part about that is, you know, pops taught me some, but you know, there was no YouTube, there was no this. So I would have find like old books and try to learn it. So I sucked. I sucked in high school, which is why when I got to college, I made such giant gains because late bloomer, great, great team that I walked into a great, great training group the guys and girls were at an exceptionally high level on my team. So then of course you rise to that level as right. possible and then having some good training and coaching. And so I enjoyed throwing in high school, but it became the vehicle to in college, it became the vehicle to my being an athlete, which is something I always held in high regard. I just never thought I would be an athlete because like I said before, I hadn't played the sports. And so there was a little bit of this fear of like, well, I, I missed that boat. I will never be that. Although I think it's cool until one day I'm like, Hey, I could throw this thing pretty far and I keep getting stronger. And every time I come home for Christmas, I'm like stronger than all the cool guys that were in high school with me. And they're all playing college sports and Hey, it's kind of weird. I'm playing a college sport now and I'm kind of getting really good. And so it just stacked on itself of like my, my image, my self image of who I thought I could be. You know, I thought of this, this hammer, was this this vehicle to changing who I was as a person and these weights only helped that and then so I fell in love with both of them and you know didn't let that dream go for a long time because it was like a bank the more I put into it the more I kept getting out of it so it's like you don't walk away from that it's like you you don't walk away from a fishing spot when you're catching fish and I I caught fish for a decade you know that's right don't leave fish to find fish no, nah, no, nah, exactly. It was just, I told my wife and she knows now I've made that mistake a few times. Like the fish are biting. I'm not leaving. Yep. And I made that mistake in a few trips. You're like, ah, oh, there's school in this. Oh, we've caught enough. Like, let's go home. Like, let's get home for dinner. No, skip dinner. You, you fish until you can't see anymore. Or can't catch. Yep. Trans- translates to a lot of aspects in life. Yeah. And that's what I did. I threw until my body told me I couldn't throw anymore. Yeah. Because I, I enjoyed it so much. And that was where that excitement just came. I, I loved, I loved it. I love, and I still do. That's why I like love archery and precision rifle stuff because it's like throwing. 
It's seeing stuff go really far. It's a close, it's a close skill that has a replicatable, hopefully perfected technique then all I got to do is put in time and effort. I could get better at it at my own pace forever. And yep. uh, that's, that's really, really enjoyable for me. I mean, I was sitting in the cave two nights ago till midnight shooting a 16 pound recurve bow. And like, why would I be doing that? But I, sh- I enjoyed shooting it and working on technique from five yards to 20 yards. Now it dropped 30 inches between 10 and 20 yards. But I found enjoyment on learning every step of how high I have to aim until I could put all of my shots in that big with a 16-pound bow. Why? I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was like throwing. I just got to do this one thing and just dive into it like a weird little savant and just learn it the whole way. And now I know I I could pick up that bow and walk anywhere and I could put them inside the, the target. And I know no one else can because they haven't put in that work. And it's fun. I enjoy that type of thing. Yeah, hundred percent. I think there's definitely a correlation between the fitness, exercise, weightlifting, and then the hunting aspect. And that's something we've learned with Hunt Lift Eat as a whole. You know, we're relatively new, but as we've dove into this kind of experiment, it draws a certain type of person. And there, you know, in both of those disciplines, there are tangible and measurable like data points, like you're talking about with shooting the bow and kind of dialing that in and like the satisfaction that comes into like working the problem and figuring it out. Or if you're on the mountain and you're trying to be like, okay, you know, I don't see any deer where the deer at, what, 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 what does my geography look like? Like, how am I going to work the problem and kind of putting all the puzzle pieces together um, and making that, you know, successful or not. Sure. Well, you call it work the problem. And I've just always called it run the experiment. It's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And whether it's, you know, in my opinion, run the experiment could be a training session. It could be writing a training program. I could write all the training programs in the world, but I got to run the experiment to see if I was right. Right. See if it worked or if I was wrong or what was this better than another. You know, I have to take that shot. You know, sometimes I'll pick up my bow. I'll walk out to some relatively absurd distance the first shot of the day. And I go, "Ah, can I hit 76 and a half yards first crack in the morning right off the rip? Let's find out. Yeah. You know? Send it. Like, and that, but that part's exciting for me. Very like that's the fun. That's the competition side and go. Sure. And then I get to go, Hey, if I hit it, yes, I'm on the right track. Do more of what I'm doing. If I don't, then what do I need to do? Because now I put this arbitrary goal in my mind that I should be able to pick up my bow and do this thing whenever I want. And then I get to run the experiment until I could train myself into that side of it. And then, you know, just like throwing, you keep in touch with certain, you know, technical attributes of it. And then you work on some other different things. And um, that, that part is just, you know, I, even hunting to me, you know, hunting to me is running the experiment. It's, you know, I tell the wife, she, you know, we're, I'm, I'm sitting there and, you know, October riding around and she's like, You're, what are you thinking about? I'm like, well, you know what I'm thinking about. And, and she's, and I, I was like, well, I'm thinking the, you know, what, what crops have been cut out of that field down by the swamp? Yep. How high is the moon in, in the air? What's the barometric pressure? What's the, what's the, you know, the temp, what's the hunting pressure been like, what's the rut doing? Like all those little things are going on as my data points, but I could figure it out all I want to wonder if that big buck is going to come by my stand. But the only thing I have to do, I have to go run the experiment. I have to see if I was right, wrong. And then what is my hypothesis? Was it right? Once I put in data points and then what's my next conclusion? Yeah, that's pretty Absolutely, fun. man. That kind of 
segues perfectly into this. The next uh, thing I wanted to talk about was Winter Strong. You guys have just uh, completed that about two weeks ago. I found yeah. it a couple years ago just because of, you know, I'm a knife maker. So I follow Jason Knight, Marek Mamasi, sure. Neil, uh, Josh Smith, all those guys and seeing them there. And then like, where did, where did that, where was the genesis of that? Like, it seems like you're trying to do so, sort of what we're doing on a much smaller scale where we're trying to get that well-rounded person in all aspects of their life, not just, you know, trying to sell some damn t-shirts. Like we want them to be self-sustaining. And it seems like that's the whole basis of winter strong. Sure. Um, yeah. So it's kind of funny. You, live, you list all the knife makers that it almost turned into the blade show. We were laughing about it. You know, I looked around like, okay, we got like eight badass knife makers, maybe more. I mean, it was so many of them. Um, and it was I was cool. like, all my damn heroes are in one spot. This is, yeah. this is, this is fucking <laughs> you nuts. You were laughing about that. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Derek uh, mentioned them because he makes knives. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I get it. How long have you been making knives, Derek? Uh, about three years now. So uh, I own a small company called Stand Two Blade Company, and I'm cool. just fumble fucking my way through this, just trying to learn as much as I can. I get it. What type of knives do you make? Sheep knives. Uh, yeah, I make a I make a little bit of everything. So I, I do um, stock removal. I, I I do some forging. Um, so I'm just trying to be as well rounded and as well versed as I can. I'm working on getting typical outdoors down. knives, fighting style, survival, hunting knives. Mostly outdoor and hunting and survival. I mean, there's there's plenty of dudes doing the tactical shit. And like for my background, I could have went that way, but I was like, it just seems like I don't want to get in a knife fight. Who the fuck wants to do that? <laughs> you're exactly right i mean I, I, yes i i've never carried a knife with the intent of getting in a fight with it <laughs> like you <that's, laughs> never the most I'm gonna is open up an amazon box with this son of a bitch yeah exactly a lot of corn bags are opened up with my knives and amazon boxes um no that's cool so back to so like to answer your question with winter strong so we've had an event called summer strong we're coming up on the is it the 15th year uh summer strong and uh a couple of my tight you know inner crew people that come to summer strong every year that's got like you know a a family reunion we were on a text thread and they're like man you know so great seeing you guys we gotta do it again like it sucks that we have to wait a whole year to the summer to see everybody and like do the thing you know and they're like all right bert we got to do like something called winter strong and i'm like yeah yeah i get it you know whatever the six months kind of deal and I got thinking more and more. I'm like, yeah, that would be cool. But I I started growing Sornex Outdoors or, or at least more so in my mind. And so I kind of just really just to screw with them a little bit. I was like, all right, we're doing it. It's called Winter Strong, but it's going to be different than Summer Strong. And they're like, well, what are we doing? We're going to go somewhere else. I'm like, yeah, we're going to my farm. And it's going to be a, an immersion event. And we're going to camp out and we're going to find the shittiest weekend to do it. And then we're going to see like if you're really into this or you're kind of interested you know and uh it was awesome the the cool thing in four years of winter strong it's rained every year at some point and it's always like you know 38 and rainy which is just nasty and it's super humid and and it's it's uh everyone laughs this from all over the different parts of the world i laugh more than they really laugh but everyone will sleep on south carolina and they're like oh it's good and warm down there it's like it's warm but 38 and high humidity and rain will eat your lunch if you know you guy has guys from guys and girls from you know north dakota that come down like oh, i'll be fine they're like oh my gosh i'm so cold <laughs> it's, it's a thing you know so that that kind of you know that was the idea and then a friend of mine laura zara and i we were talking and i said well hey looking to do this thing winter strong and like would you mind teaching some primitive skills and then i just kind of tied in some of my my people 
and uh, you know Mike Bacaleri or Buck at uh, Leopold Optics, and he and I were friends. We'd done a, a precision rifle course out at my farm, and I said, "Well, hey, would you come back and teach some precision rifles?" And then just kind of worked our way through some of the buddies that could bring something to the table, and we did some the you know training aspect of it. But the idea was to probably much like you guys are doing is to bring a a dual value proposition to the two worlds that I love and that I'm in, you know, it's the human performance world and it's the outdoors world and growing up in the sporting world, my, my times I would walk in that world, or at least growing up in the college and post-collegiate, I realized that a lot of the, the athletes usually were urban or suburban kids growing up. And so they didn't have a lot of uh, time to do sports, especially if you're football players. I mean, if they probably played since they were 10 years old and they didn't hunt because they were playing football in the fall. So I realized there was definitely a void there with the athletes having the outdoor experience. And as we all got older and weren't competing anymore, I've realized, you know, it, hunting, I've done it my whole life, but I, I've, I've gotten more and more and more and more into it as I've gotten out of sport. Cause I look back and go, ah, there was a 20 year period of time that I was trying to throw stuff really far and lift really heavy. And I did hunt during those times, but it was like, you know, sometimes a year versus as much as I possibly can. So I wanted to offer a transition for those people that came from that athletic side to be able to pour themselves into something else. They can't perfect anytime soon and they can have a lifelong journey. The other side of it, I realized that there are a lot of people that were hunters, especially as I got into more Western style hunting that need to be much more fit than they are. And there were a lot of people walking around talking about fitness that really didn't know a lot about fitness. They were kind of mildly interested. And, and from my perspective, and so I said, well, I mean, in my phone, I have basically some of the, the best, you know, some of the best strength coaches and strength professionals in the world. And that's the world I walk in constantly as a vocation. And wow, I could connect some of these really great people with those great people and those people could learn how to train and learn how to be uh, more fit and healthy. And these people could learn how to enjoy the outdoors. And if I just introduced my two friend groups, it can't hurt. And so that was kind of how Winter Strong got pulled together. And it was 37, 38 people that first year. And just like, uh, you know, little invite from just some of my close people that I'm friends with. And then a couple of people said, hey, can I bring so-and-so? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, and then it's just kind of organically grown kind of under the radar. Um, that's where Winter Strong is. That's awesome. It's fun. Yeah, it was awesome following that along. I remember I was looking at some of the pictures. I don't forget me with a good time. I'll fucking camp out. Yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's um, some special things happen there. It's pretty neat. Derek doesn't like being cold and wet anymore, though. Yeah, after ranger school, I made a, a vow to myself that I would not be cold and wet ever again. But yeah. I'll make an exception for you, Bert. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. We had a couple of your ranger, but your 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 fellow rangers there. It was cool. Yeah, um, well. I listened to to Mareko's podcast. The uh, he had a buddy, or his brother was in third bat. Um, I don't know if we were there at the same time, but I just remember him mentioning that he had a his brother was in third ranger battalion. Okay. Yeah, we had uh, Paul Handelman. Do you know Paul? Uh, he's a musician and then, uh, uh, Pat Payne, um, he was there and I know a couple guys, a couple Rangers were there. Yeah. It was, uh, you had, uh, two MOH winners there. I was kind of Pat's Pat's one of them. And then, um, uh, Kyle, 
Kyle yeah. Carpenter. He's a, it's pretty badass. I have to admit that Pat and Kyle MOH uh, are both, we all three of us live are from within 10 miles of each other, our hometown. Oh. So it's Did, pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty strong. Those guys, I just, I feel it's neat that I live in their hometown. But yeah. after they left, did you have to grab your tractor to to replow your field from them dragging around them big ass ass balls? No, they their balls did it for me, which is nice. I just figured it'd be rutted all over the place. Yeah, no, we uh, yeah, you had to grade it down. Now those those are two uh, two impressive gentlemen. They're there, and there's, yeah, I mean, and not taking anything by any stretch away from those two, I mean, because there's no way you could or should, but uh, there was, there's a few guys who were flying under the radar that were, um, you know, five, five bronze stars with valor kind of guys, you know, and you're like, oh, cool, you're just a dude. Dude yeah, and you would never, you'd never know it unless somebody oh, had told and you. And that's the thing is usually they're the most humble and kind. Right. It, the people exactly. that are loudmouth have never done anything. <laughs> Those guys are so humble and gracious. And- yeah, and that, that's the fun part. And some people have said, well, gosh, I didn't even know so-and-so was here or that guy or that girl did that. You should have told me. I was like, no, that, no, that's, no. Here, here's what you do. Like, just like with hunting or anything else, the more you dig, the more you more you get. And if, if you walk up to someone, I told them, I said, you guys are here for two days. Have candid and curious conversations with everyone around you. And if you do, you'll find some really cool stuff. And if you have to wait till to see someone's Instagram or someone just go, hey, man, go check that guy out. He played for the Patriots or whatever. Well, then you missed it. You just got the Cliff Notes version and you, you missed uh, a guy who may or may not be anyone on social media or publicly and you're like, oh, that guy is an absolute un- unbelievable, incredible human being. But you kind of had to dig. And- you, you hit on something there. I think social media kind of masks that with people. It's like, I know some really cool people, some massive business owners, you know, philanthropists doing some amazing things. that have like 400 followers on Instagram. That just, because they're know, off doing amazing things. Right. They're not working. <laughs> Actually, yeah, doing- <laughs> Right. Exactly. And this, so that's what, you know, we try to. You know, there's some people that are Instagrammy famous. Sure. Well, that's fine, but they better be good people, or we're gonna. Right. That's our thing. Um, but that's where I love when people later, you know, tell me like, "Man, I had a conversation with so and so, so and so." Like, yeah, what do you think? They're like, "Man, he was just so humble," and they, you know, be like, "I never heard of him before." I'm like, right? Yeah, that's cool, right? I mean, everyone's a person, and be a person that's amazing at three feet, not amazing on your phone, you know. And so that was, that was really cool. I had, uh, you know, one of my favorite, um, you know, everyone was like, Oh, what was your, you know, what was your favorite moment or whatever winter strong? And, and I said, you know, one of my favorite moments was three days after winter strong, a text that I got, you know, and there was this, this a kid and I call him a kid cause he's in his twenties. Um, but he's uh, his name's Caleb Stillians. And I met him a few years, you know, Caleb, he's a, he's a, uh, Alaskan hunting guide. And um, thought it was super awesome. Like he drove a freaking Sprinter van. Like he, I know he drove at least from Montana. Like I don't know. I think he's he's been in that van forever. It looked like he's. I mean, he might have driven it from Alaska, and then I don't know. <laughs> um, but anyway, he drove down and was with us. And it was awesome. And uh, he shot me a text. You know, this kid's in again his twenties. You know, I don't I don't know if he has a house or he lives in his van or what he does, but you know, and maybe he's a he's a zillionaire. I I don't know. It's not not for me to to really question. But um, 
he texts me. He's like, Hey, sir. He's like, I really appreciate you having me to winter strong. I had a great time. Uh, he's like, um, unfortunately I forgot my bow at your place. If you could do me a favor, find someone who can't afford a new bow and please give it to them. Wow. What? Wait, what? Like, and I texted him. I was like, Hey man, like I'll send you your bow. Like I have mail. I, we can make that work. (laughs) And he's like, no, it's just, you know, on my heart that I need to bless somebody with it. He's like, you know, make sure somebody gets it. Wow. I'm like, that's awesome. And I told him, I was like, dude, you're a legend. Thank you. And he's like, no, my parents, I said, you're great. You're a great man. And he's like, no, my parents are great people. I'm just trying to live up to their standard. And I'm like, that was the winter strong moment. Three yeah. weeks, yeah. three days later. We have a mutual friend. He doesn't like me talking about it publicly. Um, but he did the same for me when I was getting into bow hunting early on. Uh, Brandon Lilly gave me his old bow. Uh, we're, we're, we're buddies. I lived in Kentucky for 10 years. We're from the same area. So we right. went on hikes and stuff together. Sure. Well, yeah. We're at that age. He's, amazing. he's just a little older than me. Yep. So, and he, he was kind of, you know, in his journey and all that he's been through, able to kind of look back and see the path I was on and kind of give me some wisdom. He's about six or seven years older. And, uh, but yeah, he gave me his, his bow, his, uh, I still hunt with that Matthews monster. It's a great That's bow. So awesome. Yeah, I remember that bow he got before he got out, <laughs> I believe, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That is awesome. And Brandon's another one that's just, yeah, you know how amazing Brandon is. But that was a very, uh, Caleb did a very Brandon-esque thing, which was just awesome. super cool. And that was like, that's the stuff I love being excited about. Not like, this guy just balled out and did all this stuff. It's like, no, like, what are you actually doing for other people and showing that, you know, and he didn't ask me to to tell that story or, you know, it was just like, <clears throat> oh, like, I could certainly send you your bow. Like, that's not a big deal. And, and it was cool. I was able to give it to a guy who was just kind of getting into bow hunting. And then he shot me a text yesterday. He's like, hey, I just took it to Jeffrey Archery and I got the length done right for I got all new arrows and like, I'm so excited. Can we go shoot tomorrow? It's like, Yes. Yes. That's what this is about, you know, and I'm just excited to see what blessing that Caleb gets for just, you know, doing that. Cause it always comes back. It always comes Absolutely. back. To, yeah. You know, just, so that was, that's the kind of stuff I really enjoy that it, that it ends up occurring. So. Yeah. And the best part about that is like, he didn't do that for any publicity. Like he wasn't fucking making a, an Instagram post to, to reach out to followers. Like he just doing it because it's the right thing. And that's exactly how. And I don't even know if it's the right thing to do. Like, honestly, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't probably do that. I would be like, hey, I need my bow back. <laughs> like, hey, I'll pay yeah. you to me my bow. Like, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm probably not that guy. Like I'm not that good of a person. It sounds like, because I was just like, man, that wouldn't have been my my go-to is to give my bow away. Yeah, but you know, it might be now. And that's maybe part of the lesson too when you do that for others is like now yeah. a circumstance arises in your life. You're like, hey, remember that one time he did this? This is my opportunity to pay that forward to somebody. Because so, it yeah. totally changed my outlook on stuff like that. Right. Totally, but it was like, okay, that reminded me. And it's, it's hit me so much over the last two weeks. I kept telling the story. I'm like, thanks, Caleb, for the story, for the, for the lesson you know and and so immediately it's like gosh how can i help someone else because that was a wonderful lesson that's what stuck with me probably more than the entire weekend that's awesome that's really cool i'm kind of like you bird i forgot uh my nick's boots at our our team hunt at uh luke's family farm in virginia and it never crossed my mind one second when they're like hey you forgot your boots to give them away i was like no send them motherfuckers back right yeah because you're like hey here's my boots or here's my bow like i'm this is like i and i'm a guy that i don't 
I don't sell guns, knives, or bows. I just don't like that ain't a thing for me. Like I'll give you something like whatever, but I'm not like, Hey, let me see if I could, I've sold like two guns in my entire life. Never sold a knife, never sold a bow. If I could bless someone with it, that's a different animal. But to just think right off the rip, like, Oh yeah, sure. Cause I, I kind of fight. If that's like my thing that I've dialed with, like I kind of hold it dear. If that's the bow I'm hunting with, like, you know, it, it, we get in sync, you know, and to think at a drop of a hat, like, yeah, sure. Take it. I'm like, wow. Caleb's a stronger man than I am. Like that's, that's super cool. But in the bottom line is it's just stuff. It's yeah, just yeah. stuff, you know, it's going to get stolen, broken, rotted, or given away at some point anyway. Yeah. That's you know? true. Um, so I don't know. I'm just trying to change my focus. I think I could get, I could, I could start jiving with the potential, like a, whether it's a rifle or a bow or whatever, have like a, like a, um, you know, a little superstition about something. And it's like, Oh, this is my thing. It's like, come on, dude, wake up. You know, I can't take it with you. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Speaking of bows, Bert, what, uh, what kind of hunts you got planned this year? Well, um, I'm going to do whitetail in South Carolina. Of course, that's kind of my, my home, home state. Uh, I'm going to book with uh, salt river outfitters out of Kentucky Mm. whitetail with them with george up there he does an amazing job hunting i've hunted with him before uh do my favorite hunt is my missouri hunt every year i lease a piece of property up there so it's kind of self-guided and you know it's it's the perfect combination for me it's high high potential for success while also being self-guided so i kind of get that fun of getting to to drive the ship myself um, not that I don't have anything against a guided hunt, but there is a certain excitement when you pick the right tree and, yep. but, and you're still a place that has a high probability of, of seeing mature animals and then, um, doing elk in Utah this year in September. Um, and then I'm going to maybe in June, go to Hawaii and see Neil and Danny Bolton and those guys and, uh, try to do some goat and hog hunting out there. Um, I've unfortunately turned down multiple hunts this year, which is, it drives me crazy, but I've, I've realized I need to do some work and I got to see my family too. So I think I've turned down two moose hunts and a antelope hunt, which I'm not pumped about. It's hard to even say it. It's always, it's always tough finding that balance, man. Cause like you want to be, you want to be a good businessman. You want to be a good dad and you want to be a good hunter. And it's, it's, balancing all that shit yeah. out is yeah i just rough. looked and was like i could i could hunt straight from august till november like i could do it <laughs> i don't know if right. my business or my family could handle it but yeah i had two or three things to like pop in you know september it's like sorry can't sorry can't sorry can't and like the third one i'm like okay gosh this is getting this is getting hard to say at this point like you know part of me, well, maybe i can make that one and is your family hunt with you at all What's that? Does your family hunt with you at all? Or is it just you? Uh, yeah, my my kiddos, they'll hunt like a time or two a year with me. They're still younger, uh, basically six, eight, and 10. So I'll go, I'll take one or two of them a few times, but it's still, especially you put them all three in a stand together with me and it's like a clown car. Like everyone's climbing over each other, falling out the stand. And Listen, I know I have, mine are nine, seven, and six. And uh, yes. I, I took my... Uh, my middle son has autism. So I, I got into squirrel hunting so that he could be a part of it because it's to be as quiet. 
And so that not, not really, as bad. and we've had a lot of fun. Like he just chatters in the woods and whatever does his thing. And we'll, we'll walk with me and we see squirrels just pop up. And, uh, Sweet. but, but yeah, my, my youngest, I took him and he was five at the time. He would not shut up. I'm like, I'm like, Greshi, bud, you gotta be quiet. We're not going to see the deer. And, uh, the a doe that I killed last year, he's like, he's literally like, he's like, Hey dad, there's a deer. <laughs> and I'm like, and like literally like 40 yards, just does looking at me, and I'm like, well, I just draw wow, a bow. A bow still. Yeah, bow. Yeah. I was really? I was brave. That was really oh, forgiving. I would take a kid bow hunting with me. Actually, no, I that way. I did once, and strangely enough, we saw a doe. We were sitting in the ground blind. They're getting used to being quieter because I yell at them. I hate to say, just shut up, be quiet. <laughs> you know? um, but I killed a good buck a, two years ago with my youngest, who was three at the time. Ooh, and um, yeah, it was sitting on the ground. And it was pretty far shot, but it was one of those like you have to plan it. Usually I do well with the kids. So I have shot opportunities every time we go, but I, I've had to figure out like, how do I get to a certain stand where the wind is perfect, the ingress and egress is perfect. I could only be there less than an hour. So I have to like time it all out where I could, you know, a three-year-old that doesn't walk too far. And so you got to carry them. And, and, uh, but that's part of the run, the experiment too. I, yeah. I have a ground blind and like, they, they only go, when we go to the ground blind. Like I haven't tried stand hunting with them yet, but this last time I had my daughter, she has her little Amazon fire tablet headphones over top of her. <laughs> just sure. draw. It was great until she tripped when she was trying to do something and yanks the headphones out and like door of the Explorer just started laughing. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah, no, that's super fun. And, and that's, you know, I look back when I was a kid, you know, I was hunting at this at their age, but we didn't have any of that stuff. Literally my hunting was, I think I was eight. My dad gave me a Ruger 1022 yep. with a 30 round banana clip, sat me on the side of the road and says, if a deer comes out, shoot it in the eye. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it didn't come out because I'm like an eight-year-old kid and there's probably a deer sitting beside me that I wouldn't have noticed, but that was my instructions. And I mean, and he knew that I wouldn't move if I was told not to move. So, you know, I was pretty, you know, obedient. And then I remember another time he gave me a 12 gauge single shot shotgun and a box of uh, buckshot. And uh, he and my buddy, he set us behind a log in the snow and he's like, shoot a deer if it comes by and then left. And I remember it was so cold. Uh, <laughs> my buddy and I, we were trading every five minutes because we only had one gun. So we both of us wanted to shoot. But <laughs> we decided that every five minutes we would trade the gun. Like, so the other guy, so whatever, whenever the deer came out, like that's who got the shot. And, um, and I remember he started crying because his feet and his hands got so cold. So I, I let him take off his boots and I let him like tuck them into my like, my kind of lap area, like under my shirt, because he was crying so much. I wanted him to be quiet. We were like 10. And, but I thought it was awesome because I got the advantage because he didn't want anything to do with the gun anymore. His hands were so cold. And I was like, sweet, I got the gun. So I, I remember it's like one of my first lessons. It's like, if I just be tougher than everyone, I get a shot opportunity. That's awesome. It gives you an edge. Yeah, it gave me the edge. I was like, yeah. sweet. All I got to do is freaking hold my water and I get the shot, you know? And I didn't get a shot because, again, I'm 10 years old and he's probably being loud and didn't see a deer. But I remember the early lesson of that was like, all right, so this is how you get ahead. <laughs> awesome. I freaking love it. I love it. That's awesome. I can imagine saying no to a couple moose hunts this, this fall is uh, that's got to be a tough pill to swallow. But I get it, man. Everybody yeah. gets busy. Yeah. 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 I'm still trying to convince myself that I fully said no, but uh, antelope, I understand moose. That's, that's like, 
That's a tough one. It's just hard. How do you get to Alaska fast? Yeah. In, in a short period of time, like and not driving a sprinter van. That is how you do it. That is part of it. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's that is it's part not of getting it. any closer. That's for sure. Yeah, I know. There, there still may be a, a late minute jump and run. That's usually, I will, I will say like, I, I kind of probably when you're a ranger, um, you know, I may, I don't know if y'all you ever use the term, let the situation develop kind of deal. Like, I guess if you're kind of going in a buddy, a seal buddy of mine kind of talks about that. He's like, you know, don't, let's not go rush into our death kind of deal. Like, Hey, exactly. we're going to go in this house. Like let's hang for a second, let this situation develop and see where our shot opportunities come in. And um, that's what I've actually kind of learned. I plan most of my hunts out, but then like, there's a part of me that just kind of says, let's just see how it goes. Cause I have this weird ability that sometimes I'll get a random call from a guide or something that's like in September 5th, he's like, Hey man, just had a cancellation for this. You need to be here in a week. And then I'm able to actually see my schedule. If it works, I could just go cool, go. So I always leave a little flex time for that type of stuff to happen because it just tends to happen. Yep. So I don't get super bent out of shape if I don't have a lot of stuff booked. The yeah. old uh, ready fire aim. Yeah. We do that a lot here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It, it really stresses me out, honestly, of like committing way far out because I've done that before and you kind of get burned. You're like, I have this, you know, seven day hunt plan, but like stuff is going crazy at work and I can't get away right now. And then there's sometimes someone calls like, dude, you want to go to, I mean, heck, I went to Alaska with four days notice one time. His buddy was like, hey, can you go? And I was like, yeah, actually I can. He's like, good, let's go. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And uh, it's weird how that shit works out because we had a uh, butch whiting on two yeah. weeks ago, a week ago. And uh, the, the CEO of Cryptech and he was telling us, you know, sure. there's this bear tag that he had pulled that you can only apply for every four years. So he applied for it, set up this whole hunt was good to go. And then it turns out like his daughter was the rodeo queen for sure. uh, Idaho. And he's like, well, and it, all her stuff was going to be during that hunt. And he's like, I applied for this four years ago and now I'm going to, you know, chuck it to my buddies because I've got to be a, a good dad, but yeah. like, that's a hard pill to swallow when you, when you set something up. It is. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I, I, I want to take my family to Hawaii. I've never been, they've never been. And I have some good contacts there that want to show me some cool stuff. And so I said, well, I could either be somewhat selfish and go to Alaska after a moose, or I could try to build a family vacation and hunt one or two days <clears throat> while I'm out there, but actually have something my family will enjoy. I mean, them yeah. seeing another moose or a deer on the wall won't really change their uh, life as much <laughs> as probably getting to do something fun. So that was kind of the idea. Awesome. That's really cool. Bert, earlier you mentioned you were shooting your recurve in the cave. Yeah. When we're talking about the cave, are we talking about your man cave? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. You, yeah. And I just call it the, the cave because when I was, a, when my, my son, when I first built it, you know, uh, my my young youngest or my oldest boy when he was young he would just say daddy's in his cave or go into the cave and so it just be, kind of became known as the cave it was an outbuilding behind my house and uh it's my gym my training area it's like has pallet racking up for all the hunts and adventure stuff and <clears throat> it's kind of hangout area podcast area and so uh when we built our new house that was one of the first things that we rebuilt was cave 2.0 and so it's just kind of got known as the cave and 
um, a number of people, you know, I've taken a lot, most of my videos and stuff are in there. And it's kind of, I mean, I'm sure there's other people that call their place the cave, but. Um, I showed my wife the videos. I'm like, babe, this is it one day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and emulate that here. I've got a, oh, on our farm good. here, we've got an old, it's a converted chicken coop that I've converted into a shop and, you Sweet. know, I'm, I'm taking notes from you. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That That's the thing, man. Like, you know, I call it the personal performance center, like build your, build your own performance center that, that deals with, you know, your things that you're trying to strengthen, you know, and that, that's, that's what that whole place is built for. You know, I, I still go to the gym here that we have it here at Sornex, but that's my, that's my place to strengthen more than just my, uh, you know, physicality or my mental strength. That's kind of the whole full thing. And, you know, it's not a man cave. It's, it's what I call my fam cave because yeah. it's not without sounding kind of kitschy and weird, but um, my kids play in there. I built them a climbing wall and, you know, part of it is where they could play, but also do stressful things that while they're watching me intentionally strain to kind of, you know, blueprint them. I'm like, Hey, this is, this is what daddies do. Daddies don't go home and drink six beers and watch, you know, TV daddies go home and they play with us for a little while. Then they go and they make themselves better and they do hard things and they include us in them and they teach them and, you know, and, uh, you know, they go on adventures, they get excited about life and they're passionate and they prepare and they get better at things. And like, that's what we do. And, you know, there's a, there's a big TV in there. So like, that's what we'll do. We'll do sometimes movie nights in there and we all kind of hang out. And I, I built a little bunk house in there. So like the guys that were here for winter strong, I had, uh, I had Lucas from Grizzly Forge, Andy, that flip flop guy, Brandon, um, a couple of, uh, Danny Bolton, you know, just had a, had a big group of dudes that all kind of stayed in there all week. And, you know, that was their chill hangout spot that they would shoot bows at two in the morning and, you know, listen to music and just do their dude stuff. So kind of what I built it for. No, that's awesome. I was reading, I was reading a, uh, interview you did with, uh, I guess chili sleep is what it was. Oh, and you yeah. Were yeah. And you were talking about the mind soul connection and kind of like, you know, yeah. all, all that is good for the whole system, like everything as a whole. Yes. And that includes, that includes, includes, uh, doing stuff with your kids, playing with your kids and then doing, you know, sure. hard things and being outside and getting in the river and doing that kind of stuff. I thought that was really yeah, cool. It, it's, thank you. Yeah. It's like I said, it's a, you know, yeah, I've been around human performance centers my whole life, but I have kind of my own personal performance center that is intentionally built to increase the performance and the strength from different parts of my life and curtailed to my experience and what I want. I mean, it, it will be different if you do yours or, you know, if I was into jujitsu, I'd have some mats in there also. If I was into art, I'd have some, some easels in there with some, some paper. If I was into, you know, I might get my fly tying stuff back up out there and teach my kids how to start doing fly tying or like it's, it's just a space to, to deep dive into passions and to get better at them, which, you know, I think a lot of people, they, they lose that. They stop chasing passions when they think they have to start chasing the dollar. And, you know, there's always going to be more work. There's always going to be more money to make. There's always going to be more fires to put out. And, but I don't, I believe if you, if you're not truly chasing a passion, then what's the point in making the money? What's the point in, I mean, financial security, once your basal needs are made or met, everything else has to add 
in my opinion, to something, some part of your happiness or your, or your excitement or your enthusiasm. Otherwise you're, I think you're doing it for the wrong reason to just to make a number, an arbitrary number that is always going down due to inflation anyway. Like that's, that sounds like a horrible thing to, to chase. Like I'm, I'll be honest, like money does not excite me at all. I like that. I could trade it to go elk hunting. Right. But, but I mean, the reality, I'm not, I'm not trying to make myself as freaking Gandhi or anything. It's just like, I've just never been really interested in it. Like the number I don't even know what my salary is like <laughs> something. I think it's been uh really cool to see your guys' growth. Like I was, uh, I was in Myrtle beach in 2009 when like CrossFit was first kind of kicking yeah. off and like seeing you guys' growth. Cause like we had, we had your guys' equipment in our gym. Oh, like, cool. There's only, there's only really two people that were making it like you and rogue. Like that was the yeah. only people. Especially 2009. It was probably, yeah. yeah. 2008, 2009 would have been just us really at that point. Yeah. So like we're, where do you see your, like after all this growing, like where, what are some milestones that you want to hit for Sornex in the future? Uh, I like to, to get the outdoors world stronger. You know, that's just a pet, that's a pet project and a fun project. And I realize again, going back to enthusiasm, I have to be, I have to be very interested in something to put forth that if you're going to be successful, you have to do the stuff that other people don't do basically the extra stuff. Like you can't just, clock it in like I did my 40 hours this week. Hey, hey, here we go. You know? Um, so in my opinion, that's always been the differentiator. If I was excited and if I would put in the extra effort, like I was designing some stuff at 12 o'clock last night, cause my brain wouldn't turn off because of three things that happened in sequence before that, then it's just one of those things. The first thing I did waking up this morning was go run in the shop and start playing with it. Um, that's not making me awesome, good, or, or to be looked up to in any way. That's just saying I was excited. And if I'm excited about something, I'll go after it. Yep. And generally, if you go after it hard, you, you generally get good at it because not many people go after it much hard for a long time. So you kind of end up winning just by default. Uh, most people don't stick with anything over three years. So if you're in it for 10 years, that means you're going to be three times, have three times the experience of almost everyone else in that field. If you do it for 20 years, you're like on an island, basically. And so that's why I've always just seen it as I'm just going to try to be better by passion, enthusiasm, and then just by outlasting everybody. Just be just outlast you assholes. Yeah, just be interested in it longer. And not that I'm like better. It's just like, I'll be interested in this for 20 years. If you think it's fun for three, you'll be a memory. Yeah, see ya. Not even, you know. And so that's where I find the excitement part. And so that's where like the outdoor side is is exciting because I I like it. I mean, it's what I, I mean, it's, it's what I do, you know. Um, I, I'm not as excited about a 600 pound deadlift anymore. I'm just not, I'm in a different phase of my life that we are seeing a hammer go really far. I don't think about that every day anymore. I did for a long period of time. And my, my mind was on that. I still like creating equipment that helps other people do that, but I also have to be realistic about where my mind is and what I want to achieve. And if usually whatever I want to achieve, if I'm excited about, and I go after it, usually I'm relatively successful and and pushing the envelope. And so and, and someone asked me the other day, they said, you know, you have a lot of very interesting people around you in life. And they said, well, you know, 
what makes all what makes all these people interesting? What makes you interesting? And I got thinking about it. I was like, what makes these people interesting? And I was like, what makes them interesting is they're interested. Mm. Like people that are interested become interesting by default because those are your explorers. Those are your people that are interested enough. They'll run the experiment. They'll dig in deeper. They'll go down the rabbit hole farther because they actually give a shit and they care. People that are kind of okay with complacent and complacent with whatever life has given them at the moment. I hate to say it. I don't find them interesting. If their race has already been run and they're just like, Hey, that was cool. It's like, yeah, check, please. I don't need to know you. I mean, like I say, didn't mean to know you, but I'm just, it's hard for me to remain interested. If you're not interested, if you're not passionate and burning the midnight oil because you love it, then why the heck would I be involved in it? That doesn't make, you know, just because you're rich, I don't know shit. I don't give a crap if you're rich or famous, like that doesn't do anything, but I'll find a poor guy that's super deep water and interested. Like that's person I want to hang with because they maybe just haven't made the right financial decisions or maybe someone stole something from them or maybe they're, maybe they just don't care about money. Like, I mean, Laura Zara is one of the most interesting people I know. And when I met her, she was living in a car that she won on the prices, right? Didn't have a, uh, a sleeping bag. She slept in a, in a moose hide in her, in her vehicle and her cooler was a cardboard box with a coyote skin over it. She was happy as could be. She had a knife that Neil Kamimura made her and she had a, like a fire making kit, like not matches, like a bow drill. <laughs> and like I got her a little bit of a deal with Everly stock. So we got her some packs and some, some sleeping bags and some things like that later. That was one of the happiest, coolest chicks to be around. She's just like, I don't have to be anywhere. I just super interested. I want to go out and enjoy life and just check out what's out there. And I'm just like, wow, in many ways, you've kind of figured it out. Like you don't have to deal with a lot of other, the BS, as long as you're just always, she was like, wherever I am is where I want to be. I'm like, man, that's my youngest youngest brother's an artist. And well, he he works for Aurora, but he's also an artist. Like he's always uh, loved street art. And he did this one uh, piece for me where it was like this hobo and had a saying on there that said, Lord, don't let me work so hard to make a living that I don't have a life. And like, I've kind of always wanted to, to be that way. Like yeah, chasing exactly. that dollar doesn't do you shit. If you no, don't have no, the experience but, but, behind it. But then you, you're bait, you're, you're mixed with, you know, Elkhorn's art free. <laughs> like, you know, not even, not free. even close to being free. <laughs> not even close to being free as I found. So, but that's where you kind of got to play this both, you know, you got to be good at something so you could get paid to go do the things you want to do. So you could, go do them, but you don't want to jump the shark so much that all of a sudden you go, I worked 78 hours a week this week for the last 10 years. Oh, I don't go hunting anymore. Or I don't go lifting anymore. Or I don't fish. Or I don't see sign my family because I'm making money. It's like, all right, time to, time to scale that back, you know, to figure and something so that, out. That's always the, the balance, right? Yeah. And, uh, I'm not always good at it. I mean, I miss it at time to time. And then more responsibilities you have on here, then the more you kind of got to, you know, you have a lot of employees and a family and this and that, like, okay, well now I got to go heavier on the, the money-making side and the business side, because, you know, my employees probably don't give two craps whether I kill an elk this year, they prefer to put food on their table. So now their, their livelihood is more my responsibility, but that's how it goes. So that's what I'm up for. Did you know that you always wanted to take over Sornex or were you just like, eh, we'll see what happens? 
No, I came on to help dad. I mean, you see your dad struggling, trying to do a thing that he believes in that you also believe in. You're like, well, I'll be your helper. What can I do to help? And then, you know, 10 years later, you're still doing it. Going back to that 10 year thing, you know, 10 years later, you're still doing it. You're like, Hey, I got some cool ideas. And um, I think, you know, I've, I've seen it enough where maybe I could, you know, see it from a slightly different perspective and, you know, the old saying fresh eyes see far, you know, and that's kind of how that ended up going. And then there's a passion and there's a tracks in life that got laid. And you know, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I don't, I mean, I've had other jobs before, but like now I, you know, I have a job, but I don't have a job. I get paid for my life. You know, this is what I do. And every once in a while I get paid for it. It's cool, you know, but then you end up protecting it because this is my life. This is my livelihood. This is what I do. Um, so then there's a different perspective on it, but there's a different time stamp on it too. Like I'm okay with today. I go and spend time with my kids or go <clears throat> scout a stand or put a, you know, put a, a deer stand up or something today because the weather's right or whatever. I don't get too bunged up in the details because I know like I haven't really clocked out since 99 and I know I'm not gonna anytime soon. And it's just as long as I think you always keep a little bit more, you know, the scales a little bit more in balance. I always try to like keep them in balance of the company and, and that heavier, you know, you never take more than, than your fair share, even from the company that you own. That's you. I got to think of, I work for the company that I own and I have to remain valuable to that. If I'm not valuable to my employees then I, then, then I need to go do something else or I need to get paid less or I need to change my job description. So as long as I can be valuable to the people that work for me, then, I get to keep doing this. That's awesome. With uh, I know like when I was growing up, if if you said close your eyes and think of a hunter, I'd have thought of like some dude with a beer gut and flannel right. shooting a deer out of the back of his truck. Like, how do you think that this, you know, now if you're if you're talking to somebody and they think of a hunter, they're, they're thinking about guys like you or Rogan or or Jocko. You know, they, wow, that's these, a strong like, group. <laughs> or 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 campaigns. Like you're yeah. thinking of these, these in-shape guys that they're going out and, and challenging themselves. Where do you think that whole stigma has has kind of changed? I think just from the people, not me, but the people that are right in there, you know, you're you're Cameron Haynes, of course, I think is like kind of the king of that, that uh, paradigm shift. And because of guys like Rogan talking him up and everything like that, I mean, John Dudley, I mean, Dudley's a big, impressive, strong human being, uh, athlete for years. I think he, you know, obviously he's in there. Then you have new hunters like Jocko and like, you know, Rogan is relatively new, although very accomplished, but he's a physical, you know, um, performance expert and, and again more the biggest thing about rogan he's interested yeah. right does he have the best podcast in the world he's interested he's one of the most interested people i know and he asks great questions because he's interested so you like, can tell that he does his research whenever anytime he has somebody on like the books he reads like that guy all the background work he does it's insane he's one of the most interesting people because of that and like and not to go too deeply into that, but like when we were doing the weight room from his house, we talked for a good while. And what I noticed was he was data mining the entire time. Like he was taking in information 
That's why he's a good hunter because he takes in information everywhere. He's wildly observant and he has a steel trap for a mind. I mean, I told him a story in eight hours that he recited word for word three weeks later on a podcast. And I'm like, you were actually listening to that, but he nailed it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So what I see is his power is he's wildly interested and he has a steel trap for a mind. So you figure that's the case. You're going to be an amazing conversationalist because you're going to like, he, he's like, uh, he takes in everyone's stories and everyone's information. And then he could like, he has it on like a Rolodex ready to go at any time. And so like, I think he's, I mean, he's an amazing person to start with, but he definitely has superpowers, but like going back to your original conversation about hunters, I think what's happening right now is amazing in the hunting world because people are realizing they can be better and they can take these things seriously in their health. And it's always kind of before it was like, well, I'm going to, you know, chug these five beers and go out there and see what I kill. It's like, okay, that's cool and all. And I love to see my two passions coming together. And, you know, if I could play a very, very, very small role in that, I'm, I'm honored, but you know, the guys that are doing it have been doing it forever. Now I was doing it unknowingly. You know, I was able to do some things in the field years ago because I was in shape that normal people couldn't do, but I was not a normal guy at the time. I never connected the two necessarily. I was like, Oh, cool. I was able to jump up and grab that limb and snap it off and create shooting lanes that most people would have had to have a pole saw to do just because I could jump really high, you know, or I was strong or whatever. Like that was cool, but I never saw that as like, a thing like a movement within the community that that is happening and I'm, I'm thrilled that it is um and i just you know saw that and said well how can we be more even more helpful in that world because i definitely see the value of it that's really awesome to hear because that's exactly what we're trying to do over here too trying to marry up those two yeah. concepts because it makes sense right and it's the healthier version of each of us as a whole like you said earlier like the whole system Right. Yes. So, you know, that's what we're trying to do over here too. So it's, it's awesome on our own micro level. Like we're small, but well, all, all of us are in the micro level, right? I mean, sure, in sure. the grand scheme of time of, of hunting and physical attributes, it's almost like we're just t- they started there and now we're just kind of like the world did all this and we're kind of pushing them back together. Cause let's be honest, you know, thousands of years ago, the dudes that, that were the strongest and and hunted the best ate the best you know (laughs) so that was pretty obvious you know you you didn't get and that was one of the things we taught at winter strong was uh like an organic skills we were throwing rocks and kind of Derek woodski and i were showing like the throwing side of it and force production and power production was sub sub maximal level so we're throwing spears and stuff like that and going hey bottom line is like back in the day if you were good at throwing stuff you probably ate better than those who could part of it yeah Absolutely. I think social media has probably helped as well, just because seeing the image and you watch people and you go, hey, that guy's like hiking through the mountains for hours or days or weeks even, and then hiking out, you know, with this tons of pounds of meat on his back. Uh, that takes a lot of physicality to be able to do something like that. So it's physicality and it's just cool and it's sexy, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to get in shape. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I've, I've carried deer out like smaller deer before, of course, dragged a, a bunch of them. But like the first time I saw someone carry a full grown mature buck out on his back was cam. And I'm like, wait a minute. 
Yeah, like he doesn't seem to be that big a guy. And I remember doing it that year just to see if I could do it. And I'm like, uh, Cam's a freak. Yeah, like, nope. he's a freak. that's no and joke. He, he is a legit no joke freak. Like that bear a couple years ago that he carried out, everyone gave him crap for. Oh, that bear was 300 pounds. Bullshit. I helped put it on his back because because <laughs> he event, originally said, Bert, throw this on your back and walk out. And I'm like, fuck that. You know, I'm a bigger person than he is, probably lower body stronger. And I'm just like, nah, I ain't doing that. And then we're all sitting there at Austin Land and uh, uh, Junior uh, from Big Chino, myself. I'm trying to think if there was, there was probably someone else. I might be escaping me. But Cam goes, well, if I could get – he goes, can you all pick it up high enough for me to get under it to squat it? And I'm like, we all looked at each other like, this is not going to go well. And it took three big, grown, strong men – to pick up that bear and put it on his back. We were all like struggling a little bit getting on his back. And he stood up and went, I'm like, holy crap, you're the real deal. Like, there is no doubt. Like, oh, that that little bear, bullshit, bullshit. I know (laughs) even if it was a hundred pounds a person that we lifted, it was still 300 pound. I mean, it was a seven foot, four inch black bear with the guts in like come on <laughs> like you know so if anyone wants to call on that go back and watch that video that was off my phone that that was no doubt um i feel, I feel like cam's only like 175 pounds or something like that he's not if that, that big. if that he's, he's small I, i've often thought i want to get him into lightweight strongman because he would hurt some feelings he, yeah, he is he's a lot freakier than people let let on like i mean he can still bench press like 225 multiple like 15, 16, 17 times, like, <laughs> you know, like nuts. you're kind of like, okay, NFL level when you could do right. that. Right. Uh, and he's like 50 something years old and 170 something pounds and could run a marathon. You're like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> and he, sits at his kitchen table with a hundred pound draw bow. and just like, he just is legit. yeah, he, I'm not trying to like kiss his ass, but like, I've seen a lot of human physical specimens and, he, yeah. he doesn't make sense. He doesn't make sense. Like, it's just like, okay, I got a pretty good how people are going to do things. I, I'm impressed. And uh, laws a little bit. <laughs> what's that? He's bending the laws of physics a little bit. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but, but it is pretty impressive. But yeah, no, there, there's, there's guys doing some awesome. And there's, I'm sure there's other guys doing it. And, you know, there's some freaks out there. Lauren Lynch. I mean, there's some guys out there that are doing some wild stuff. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get better, man. Damn, me too. Then you start that uh that one up on ship. You're like, well, if Cam walked out with with a full bear, the next guy in line that's hungry is like, oh, yeah. what the what, what the <laughs> fuck can I walk out I'm with? Buffalo, yeah, something <laughs> crazy. I, I'm past stupid human tricks days. I would usually be easily called into that fight, but now I'm like, yeah, nah. Good. I'm transitioning out slowly. I can probably still be talked into it every now and again. Oh, I've torn enough things. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm yep. Good. I'll try to make some stupid, far, ridiculous shot just because the the propensity. I could. I'll lose an arrow, but like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Those those days of the stupid human tricks are maybe behind me. That was like it. That was like at the deer or team deer camp, Anthony. After a couple of glasses of whiskey, you were we egged you on into picking up the damn four wheeler. Oh yeah, I did over. I did like press that four wheeler. That was cool. <laughs> See that? That is that's yes. I remember that life. That's a fun life. It's 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 fun when you're you're stronger. When you're kind of almost like 
impressed by your own physicality. You're like, I could do that. That's awesome. <laughs> I remember the best part of that, Bert, was the look on Perry's face when Anthony broke it. He's <laughs> just because it was, it was Perry's four wheeler and he just was crestfallen. <laughs> he just bought the motherfucker. Ah, yeah. Back on the back, it came out. Yeah, I don't I think it was yeah. fine. Yeah, you gotta let you gotta let the engine rev a little bit while you can, right? Like that was yeah. able to jump really high, and that was one of my things. Like I remember as a like as I got strong, I was still relatively light. I would jump up in the air, like you know, dunking or whatever, and I just like fly around. And I remember like looking around while I was up in the air, going, "I'm really high. This is pretty cool." <laughs> like you know, just like people jump like this. This is like a thing now. Like when did I all of a sudden could like jump everywhere? And I, would, yeah, I never had those skills. I never had that. Oh, I was just like a little kid. I would run around and just like jump up in the air. Like it's like what nineteen year old idiots just jumping around. <laughs> Because I just thought it was fun. I was amazed that it worked that way. Yeah. It was just, you know, everyone kind of has their thing. But that is not the case anymore. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I'm I'm transitioning out of that. I had too many torn muscles and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it happens quickly. I appreciate it, guys. Hey, we we can't thank you enough for coming on, Bert. Uh, You want to tell uh, everybody where they can find you at on social media and website? Sure. Uh, Bert Soren, B-E-R-T, S-O-R-I-N on uh, Instagram. I'm on Facebook, but not often. Basically, I just push all my stuff on the Facebook. So like, you know, people from high school could still find me for some reason. Um, but uh, I'm not, I, don't, I'm not, I think I have a Twitter. I haven't signed in for a few years, so don't do that. <laughs> uh, it is actually a funny story. So I, when we did the work for Jocko, um, I can, we went back and forth on some different stuff and, and, you know, it was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Getting to work for work with Jocko. And yeah, he's one of the guys I kind of wanted to build a gym for at some point. And then I find I just randomly like signed in on my Twitter account, was looking through some old messages, and I got one from 2015. It's like Bert, this is Jocko. Hit me up. I was like, hey. probably should have called that one back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I literally hadn't checked my my Twitter in like six years. I was like, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I told him about that. I was like, yeah, sorry about that. I totally ghosted you. <laughs> Didn't mean to blow you off for years. <laughs> yeah, totally. Sorry about that. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I can do that. Sornex.com, sornexoutdoors.com, all the fun stuff. So yeah, hit us up and uh, let us know if we can help you guys out. We actually build strength strength equipment. That's what we actually do. Not just, you know, for those who don't know, like we actually make some cool stuff. So let us know if we can help you. But besides that, go out and do awesome stuff. It's <laughs> much better. Yeah, your guys' uh, stuff is pretty phenomenal. Uh, Anthony, where can they find you at? Uh, me, yeah, I am uh, Anthony one hundred five K Pro on Instagram, and same thing on Facebook. Anthony Deal on Facebook. I just gotta push everything there. Like he said, the high school friends and stuff. So, yeah. um, and same deal. I have a Twitter, but mainly, usually, I like tweet, take a screenshot, and put it on Instagram. So if you send me a message, I'm probably not checking it for six years either. Exactly. <laughs> Carter, where are they gonna find you? Uh, I'm definitely the least cool person on this. Uh call right now but you can find me on instagram at the homestead underscore ga cool and you can find me on instagram at stand to blade company or my personal one which is Derek bosley uh ain't much on there except pictures of my kids so i wouldn't follow that one if i was you but thanks again bert and uh this wraps up this uh episode of the hle podcast we'll talk to you later we appreciate the hell out of you